Hello, everyone. Today, we're going to take a look at what is a true shepherd, a good shepherd. Jesus himself said he was the good shepherd. And why was that? What was it about Jesus that made him such a good shepherd? Well, today is a very comforting message. If you belong to the Lord through faith in who he is and his work on the cross, you know he's your shepherd. And maybe today, as you listen to the qualities and the virtues of Jesus, if you don't belong to him, maybe today would be the day that you become one of his sheep. So let's get ready for a beautiful lesson and a word picture of what does it mean to see Jesus as the good shepherd. When someone cares about you, you feel safe. When you feel safe, you have hope. When you have hope, you know that you have a future. In our series, Jesus, hope for the future. That's what he is. He's our hope for the future. We're learning that he is our only true hope. And he's the only one that can provide true hope for the future. Now, we just had an election, and a lot of folks are happy about the outcome. Some are not. Most are. And we're hopeful that things in our country will turn around. But our hope is still in Christ. Nothing on the earth is going to work out perfectly without Christ. Nothing will. So that's why in spite of hopefully how things will be in our nation, we still look to God. We never stop looking to him because it's only through him that we can have a perfect hope. And as believers, we get to live with the hope of heaven. That's like the ultimate, that we have something that's waiting for us that's guaranteed. It's assured to all those who put their faith in the Lord Jesus. Today we'll see a beautiful picture of Christ, our shepherd. And what does it mean that Jesus Christ is our shepherd? The best thing to do is to look at shepherds of the ancient days. The life of the ancient shepherd, it was kind of an oxymoron or a type of a contradiction. The shepherd led a simple, lowly life. He was outside of all the hustle and bustle of the city or the town. He spent all of his time out in the fields with the sheep. He wasn't privy to the news and all the things that were happening in the world. <laughs> but the funny thing is, the greatest news, huh, they were the first ones to hear it when the angels came and told them about the birth of the Savior. So on one hand, their life is very simple, and they were considered a lowly class of people. But on the other hand, they still fulfilled a very important role by tending the sheep. People relied on sheep. Sheep provided sacrifices in the temple. Sheep provided food and clothing. So they were a very necessary part of life. And that was a shepherd's job. He had to care for them, to feed them, to lead them to green pastures and fresh drinking water. He had to protect the sheep. 
Many shepherds were hired by sheep owners to carry out this task. Um, to lead the sheep to good food, provide fresh water from a stream or a well, protect them from predators, wild beasts, jackals, wolves, even thieves. So with that in mind, God says to the nation of Israel in Ezekiel chapter 34, he says through the prophet Ezekiel in verse 22, he said, I will deliver my flock and they will no longer be a prey. And I will judge between one sheep and another. And then he said, oh, and I will set over them one shepherd, my servant, David, and he will feed them and he will feed them himself and he will be their shepherd. He's not going to hire out shepherds. He will be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. Now, a shepherd was also a metaphor for a king. Good kings led their people with strength and wisdom, just as a good shepherd would lead his flock. But I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Ezekiel is writing 500 years after the reign of David. David reigned from 1050 B.C. to 970 B.C., like 900 years before Christ. Ezekiel wrote around 571 B.C., 500 years before Christ. So Ezekiel arrived on the scene 400 years after David. Well then, oh, God must be talking about somebody else. He can't be talking about David. David's been gone for 500 years. I wonder. He must be talking about the Lord. And then Jesus comes on the scene. And I wonder if Jesus knew this prophecy from Ezekiel 34. I'm sure he did. I'm sure he knew that God was speaking about him because yet yeah, Jesus came from the loins of David generations later. And that's why in John chapter 10, Jesus could say, after all these years now of the people of Israel waiting for that shepherd to come and lead them and protect them and provide for them, Jesus comes on the scene, and he says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He's identifying who he is and what he would do. His whole mission is in that one statement. I am the shepherd that God was talking about, and I'm going to lay my life down for all of you. See, the good shepherd, he values his sheep more than his own life. I'm like, wow. He values the sheep, the animals in the field, more than his own life. That's the good shepherd. A good shepherd does that.
I was talking to a pastor a long time ago. And he, we were talking about security in the church, providing a safe place for people against, you know, evil intruders, things like that. And he was saying, you know, how they have a security team, and a lot of churches do, and that's good. And we have folks on watch, too. And he said, and I have somebody that if something were to happen in the church, this security guard's number one job is to get me out. When he said that, my heart sank. I said to myself, really? Really? His number one job is to get you out? When all your sheep are still there? And it's like, I don't know, that just, I don't know, maybe it's me. It just didn't like resonate with me. And my whole concept of that person changed from that day on. I didn't see him the same way anymore. Because <clears throat> I think, wait a minute, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I would think the pastor would want to know what's going on. I would think the pastor would be the first one to defend the sheep, not the first one out the back door. But Jesus said, no, the good shepherd, he loves his sheep more than he loves his own life. Not a shepherd, a good shepherd would do that. See, the shepherd had a reputation. And he had to protect that reputation. If he was going to be hired by wealthy sheep owners, he had to be good. And his reputation would follow him. And if he couldn't keep sheep safe and he lost sheep to predators or thieves, number one, he'd have a hard time finding employment. And number two, he'd have to pay for the lost sheep. So it would cost him twice. And so Jesus, he protects his reputation. And that's why I believe as sheep, our salvation is secure. Because he doesn't lose any of us. In his high, high in priestly prayer, in John chapter 17, Jesus said, while I was with them, he's praying to the Father. While I was with them, and he's talking about the disciples, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me. In other words, he gave the disciples to him. And I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, who was Judas. And why was it that Judas, Judas perished? So that scripture would be fulfilled. It was prophesied that one of the disciples would betray the Lord. You know, when Jesus assembled his team, he purposely picked a faithless one. He, purpose, he, he purposely picked a guy that he knew wouldn't fit. It's like playing Sandlot baseball, and you pick the kid, he can't hit, he can't throw, he can't do anything. I'll take you. That's not often that happens. 
But Jesus picked a guy that he knew would be faithless, and he knew he was a thief. And by the way, the funny thing is, Judas carried the money bag. Jesus is like, in his heart, I know he's a thief. Here, Judas, you carry the money. Like, what? Who does that? Jesus does that. So Jesus said, did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He knew that. He knew that one of his followers was going to be evil and taken over by Satan. So, of course, he's talking about Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, because he was going to betray him. Jesus said in John 13, I know the ones I've chosen, but it is that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. Judas, for three years, walked with Jesus. Oh, man, they ate together. They worked miracles together. They preached the word of God together. And yet, at the end of it all, he lifted up his heel against Jesus. You know, that could also be referred to as Lucifer. That Lucifer was in the throne room of God. He like, you know, Lucifer had the best job of all the angels. He was like... Here's the throne. Lucifer's right there next to the throne of God, guarding the throne. The highest of all the angels, in charge of angelic worship. And yet, he lifted up his heel against God. So Jesus is saying, I am a good shepherd. I don't lose any sheep. Yeah, one was prophesied that he would be lost, and I let him go because of the prophecy, but all the sheep that I have, I lose none. So he's talking to the Jews, and he's giving them comfort, and he's giving them hope. But you know the great thing? He doesn't stop there. He goes on. And in verse 16 of John chapter 10, he said, Oh, I have other sheep, which are not of this fold. And I can picture the disciples. What do you mean, other sheep? What do you mean you have other sheep. We're the Jews. We're the people of God. We're God's favorites. There's no one else. It's all about us. Jesus, he has a way of letting people know, guess what? It's not about you. It's never about you. It's never about me. It's always about him. And one of the greatest discoveries that we can make in life is that it's not about me. It's not about us. Sometimes we put ourselves in a place, you know what, that we don't belong. We don't belong there. The Lord Jesus belongs in that place. We don't. Because it's all about him. The Bible says everything is by him, for him, through him, and to him. It's all about him. It's always been about him. And it will never not be about him. And we can do ourselves a favor by, like, backing off sometimes. We need to back off and not make ourselves something that we're not. Paul said, look to the interests of others. Don't just merely look to the interests of yourself. And, you know, that's freeing. It's freeing to put yourself in the back seat. It's freeing. It's freeing not to have everything revolve around you. 
not to have everything cater to you. It's freeing to be just free of all that stuff. So Jesus said, you know, I got other sheep, and they're not of this fold. Hebrews 2 says that he would taste death for every man, so that means it's going outside of Israel. He's going beyond just the Israelites. Jesus said, I've got sheep beyond this fold, and I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. Now, this is good news for us. You know why? Because... <laughs> We're the other sheep. We're the other sheep. And God has brought us in to his fold. And when Jesus said, I must bring them also, that little phrase, I must, it means it is necessary. It's necessary that I do this. Why? Because this is my mission. This is what I came to do. I came to taste death for all people. For everyone, I came to pay for the sins, man, of the whole world. Imagine paying for the sins of the whole world. Imagine paying the grocery bill of everybody in the whole world. That'd be tough. Imagine paying the mortgage of everybody in the whole world. Forget it. Imagine paying for the sins, man, of everybody in the whole world. What's that like? I don't think it's too good. I don't think it's good at all. Jesus, John said that Christ is the atonement, the propitiation, the atonement for our sins, but not for us only, for those of the whole world, everybody. That's why it's good news. It's for everybody. It's not for some, or it's not for most, or it's not for God's favorites. The sacrifice of Christ doesn't distinguish from, well, you're chosen and you're not. Maybe you are. You better hope so. But you are, but you're definitely not. The sacrifice of Christ atoned for the sins of the whole world. Everybody has an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. We have that opportunity. Now, whether we do or not is up to each individual. But the invitation has gone out from heaven. You're all invited to the wedding of my son. Who wants to come? Some will go. Many will not. Sadly, many will not. Now, we spent a couple of weeks in Togo, West Africa, as you know. And um, we went to do a clinic in a small village called Ifrata. Let's put up Ephrata. There's the sign, Ephrata. Ephrata, Bethlehem. And I think there's something in that name because Bethlehem, you know where Jesus was born? Oh, a place of small beginnings. Just a little place. Insignificant, but it became a great place because Christ was born there. This little village, Ephrata, it's a little place. It's like it borders on non-existent. But it's a place of small beginnings. But I believe something great is going to happen there. We met a man. He's in the middle. His name is Sylvester. And he was a wealthy businessman. 
I think he was in charge of installing security systems and government buildings. And he was a pretty smart guy. And he had homes and automobiles and did very well for himself. And then one day, God knocked on the door of his heart. And God called him into ministry. So he actually walked away from his lucrative position. And he went out to nowhere's land. And you know the great thing about that? His wife went with him. See, when a husband and wife are in touch with God, they both hear from God. And that's an amazing thing. And that's an amazing blessing to have a husband and a wife on the same spiritual page. That's like the greatest union between a man and a woman, spiritually, to be on the same page. And if that's, if you have that, you know how blessed you are. If you don't, it's really something to strive for. Make it a priority because it makes such a difference in your life. So this man, Sylvester, he went out to this no man's land and he cleared bush and trees and built himself a mud hut. And, um, He's been there for a number of years now, exhausted all of his funds, but he started shepherding the people. So the next slide, please. And he erected a school. And it's tough to see. Those are the teachers in front of the school. They don't get paid, but they teach every day. And I said, how much would it cost to pay the teachers a salary? He said, well, $50 a month each. I'm like, $12.50 a week pays a teacher? He said, yeah, that would be very good. I'm like, Pfft. I'm going to appeal to any of you that are school teachers that maybe you'd want, you would want to take on the support of one of these teachers or team up with someone and figure out a way to come up with $12.50 a week so they could have a salary, so they could buy what they need to live, and school supplies as well. There's four, four or five teachers. I can't remember. if it, I know there's five people there, but if it's four or five teachers there. And that might be a mission, a ministry that God would give you. Being a teacher, you might be able to identify with them. In the back of them is a school, and what it is, it's like tree trunks, vertical tree trunks, that hold up an aluminum roof that's kind of bent and rusty. And as you can see on the right, they've woven leaves, branches, palm branches, to make the walls of the school. But when it rains and it's windy, they fall down and the rain gets in the building and it's a clay floor and it gets wet. And um, There's a number of kids that go to the school that school is their only hope to get out of the village. Some of these people never leave the village, but that's their life. And I think the great thing, he is surrounded by 50 villages. That could be the next big town where all the villages come. For clinic, from clinics of hope, 
school. He built a church, just like the school. Tree trunks with a grass roof, no walls, wooden benches, and people gathered. They had church already today because they're five hours ahead of us. They already had church in there. So I, I met him, and I'm talking to him, and I'm saying, this guy's for real. I mean, when somebody walked away from their lucrative career and homes and automobiles, living in the city, and moves out to the bush and just trusts God, I said, I believe in this guy, and I'm willing to invest in this guy. So in our travels, I took a picture of some of the other schools that are throughout Togo. You can see the next picture. And the other schools, a lot of them are Christian schools. They're made of cinder block. They have metal roofs, they have cinder block, and a lot of the block have, they're hollowed out for light and air. And I said to Sylvester, I'd like to go home and help you build a real school. A school where you can have class every day where the rain doesn't come in and upset everything, and um, give hope not only to your village, but to all the villages that are around, and give these kids a chance. Give them a future. This whole series is about a future. Christ is our future. He's given us a future in heaven. But it's so important to have a future right here on the earth as well. So, now that's a big school. I wouldn't think we need to build anything that big, but it's on that idea. Cost, I don't know, seven, $8,000 with a cement floor and bricks on the side. So, by the way, at the time of this lesson, it was in a few years ago, it's an older lesson, we've built that school. That school is built and flourishing cinder block school with a metal roof and desks and blackboards and I'll tell you what it's all done to the glory of God and why do we do it? like we said to give people hope hope delayed Solomon said makes the heart sick sick heart sick life we need hope Jesus is our hope he loves us he cares for us he offered himself for us so we could have an eternal home in heaven. As the shepherd, he provides for us. He leads us and guides us in the way that we should go. Tell you what, there's no one better to put your trust in than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He gives us hope. And in appreciation for that, we want to give others hope by sharing Christ and also the resources that we have for those that are struggling those that don't have the hope that we have. We're still collecting for Ukraine. Get your church leader say, come on, let's take an offering. Let's help out our brothers and sisters that are war-torn. That's what they are. They're war-torn. They need hope. Oh, they, know, they need all the hope that they can get. Think about that. Thanks for coming along. I'll see you next time for more of New Hope Radio.